1: Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other Book Club listeners. However you wanna listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out the Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of... Classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh. Stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing, or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. What Was That Like contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
2: And I kind of just stopped all the struggle. I closed my eyes and took a couple of breaths and relaxed thinking, okay, yeah, we'll just kind of uh, slip off here. I guess if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna do it peacefully.
0: Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. Probably most people have been in some type of car accident at some point in their life. I've been in more than one myself, none of them serious or even involved injuries. These things are common. Human drivers make mistakes, and cars just run into each other sometimes. But the crash we're talking about today was not a simple fender bender. Luke and five of his friends were just having a fun 4th of July vacation In fact, this episode is being released on July 5, 2019, the five-year anniversary of the day of the accident. Everyone in the car that day was seriously injured. Two of them did not survive. My hope with this episode is that as you hear Luke tell the story of what happened that day, it's going to serve as a reminder to drive safely and use good judgment. Your passengers are depending on you to do that. What happened to these six young men could easily happen to any of us. All it takes is a brief lapse in judgment or focus. As a note, going forward, I'm probably not going to do any more stories about auto accidents. I do get submissions pretty regularly from people with a car crash story, but if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know I have a pretty high standard on what I consider to be an unusual story. Most car crashes aren't unusual or extreme enough to get on the show. Today's story is the exception. And if you'd like to join some other listeners who are supporting the show, you can do that through my Patreon at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. Hang around after today's story with Luke, and I'll have some information about different Patreon reward levels that are now in place, and the podcast has its own subreddit and the private Facebook group, All kinds of stuff's going on, and I'll tell you all about that at the end of today's show. My goal is to continue to put out episodes that are worth supporting, and for your support, I thank you. And now, here's my conversation with Luke. Do you know if anyone was wearing a seatbelt that day?
2: Well, I know I was wearing mine, and that's part of the reason why I'm here to tell you this. There were six of us in a car that was designed for five people. So automatically, one guy is not wearing his seatbelt.
0: Yep, that's uh, that's unfortunate. And obviously, it's important. Um, not that it, it may or may not have saved lives, but it certainly uh, is, is usually a good idea. Well, let, let's talk about you. this was uh, what happened that day. You had six, you and five of your friends traveling to a lake house. Can you kind of tell us what, what was the plan for that day or for that weekend?
2: So we actually, we go back about a week uh, before the, this is 4th of July weekend, 2014. My friend Marcus and I, we are just huge fireworks fanatics. Anything that goes boom, we've loved it. Ever since I was little, I love shooting out fireworks, and he's been the same way. He just takes it another level higher than me. He figured out that if you buy wholesale, you know, instead of going to the tents, you buy from the people that sell to the tents, you can stretch your money and buy all sorts of crazy fireworks. So... He somehow hooked up with his distributor, me and four or five people. We threw in a couple hundred bucks and you know packed this Ford Explorer for, full of fireworks and drive it back. He starts researching every piece we've got. He makes this like schematic like he's putting together some sort of circuit or something. And he's got everything figured out with different lengths of fuses at different burn rates. So we're going to go and have this spectacular fireworks display at his lake house at Truman Lake. So we've got all this worked out. And at this point, I've kind of got a rough idea who's going. I knew it was going to be Marcus, myself, Daniel was going, and uh, Eddie, my buddy, who I've known for about 20 years. Well, the day of the uh, 3rd of July comes. I end up having to work late that night. So I get off work at about 10 o'clock and I head on over to Marcus's house, which is only about a half mile from where I worked. And I had all my bags packed. I was ready to go. This was going to be a fun weekend. I've been down to this lake house of theirs probably four or five times in the last three or four years. It was actually the the first road trip I took after I got my driver's license. was down to that lake house and pull up. And there's another one of my friends who I hadn't seen in quite a while uh, my buddy neil from high school he uh left high school joined the army he just kind of he'd been away for a while and turns out he's also kind of a bit of a pyro and a fireworks fanatic so all right we've got the team together we're gonna have a good time so pack his car full of fireworks another one of my friends mary she's coming with us just for we're gonna Supposed to be down there for three or four days. She was just going to be down there for about a day and a half, two days. She had some family up in Minnesota that she was going to be visiting. So we take these two cars down. We leave uh, Kansas City. We leave it at probably close to midnight, and we're heading down to uh, Truman Lake in Missouri. And obviously, in the middle of Missouri in July, it's firework stands about every 20 miles. So we keep stopping and just buying more stuff and piling it in both cars.
0: So, how far away was the lake house? What what was the distance of this trip?
2: So, we live just south of Kansas City, and on the Kansas side, and uh, Truman Lake is about an hour, hour and a half from us. Probably closer to an hour. Now, with all the stops that we took, it took us closer to maybe two and a half, three hours to get down there. We get down Lake House. Obviously, it's it's at least three in the morning, and we're all just super jazzed to be down there. I've got you know, a week off work. Everyone else is going to be celebrating the holiday. We're all stoked. Um, most of Marcus's family was down at the lake house, too, and it's um, a fairly small house. I mean, it was only two floors, I think maybe two bedrooms and one and a half bathrooms. So we had you know, made the decision ahead of time. We were just going to you know, pitch tents on the front lawn and camp. We don't mind sleeping on the ground. That you know, we set up our camp. Uh, The next day, on the 4th of July, we um, obviously play around with some of the smaller fireworks. And um, we start setting up this big old display. I mean, it probably, it took Marcus maybe two or three hours to get everything wired together. Um, And that time, this would have been, you know, later in the afternoon, three or four, one of Marcus's friends, who's good friends with his little brother, his name is um, Will. He shows up. So will shows up with Marcus's little brother. and they're going to be you know spending some time there for the weekend too. So we uh, finished getting everything set up. I, I meet will. He's a real great guy got along well with him. We ended up having some cigars that night after the uh, fireworks display. So we set off this display. He had it all timed out, wired together perfectly. probably you know lasted a good 15 to 20 minutes. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen.
0: That's that's pretty amazing for an for an amateur setup.
2: For yeah, someone who's you know never done anything like that, he just when Marcus gets something into his head, he doesn't half-ass it; he whole-asses it. It's it's all him.
0: Marcus is your best friend.
2: Yeah, he's. Um, I've known him since I met him in seventh grade in a industrial tech class, and we both had an interest in model rocketry, and that's kind of how our friendship just kind of blossomed over the years his house was always the hangout house.
0: And it's his family that owned the lake house.
2: Yeah. It belonged to his, uh, grandparents. And, uh, you, know, they never really used it that much. Uh, we would go down there periodically just for weekends and spring breaks just because nice to get away from the city and you're next to a uh, Truman Lake, which is, and their part is absolutely beautiful. It's ringed by these you know, 150, hundred foot tall bluffs that we would hike up and down and just gorgeous. So, get our display done and having the time of our life. We see Mary off. She's uh, she drives back to Kansas city. So she can head on up to Minnesota the next day You for a girl drives, you know, an hour and a half home at midnight only to leave at eight o'clock the next day to drive you know, eight and a half hours North. You know, the next day we wake up and you're like, well, we've got a couple more days here. Let's let's do it again. So trying to figure out what we want to do for the rest of the day. And um, a couple of the guys with us, Marcus and Daniel, they were both Boy Scouts and were down near a Boy Scout camp that a lot of the, uh, the Midwesterners go to. I think it's called Bartle. And near this Boy Scout camp is this tiny little Missouri town called Iconium. And in Iconium, there's a, a general store, a convenience store, so to speak, a Ma and Pa type joint that all the Scouts kind of frequent. Because, you know, at the Scout camp, there's you know, none of the amenities of home, no air conditioning, you know, like cold pop or anything like that. So all the Scouts kind of flock here. So it's a, a good memory for a lot of these people. At this store in Iconium, they sell this soda. It's I guess it's kind of hard to find. It's peach flavored Nehi, and I've actually I've got one of my cans here with me today that I've saved way back when. And it's um, it's peach flavored soda. There's really nothing special about it, other than it's pretty tasty. And you go down to the store there in Iconium. There's a little restaurant attached, and you can get. Burgers and we got uh, floats made with this hide peach soda and soft serve ice cream. Sounds kind of weird, but it's quite the combo, especially on you know an eighty-five degree day. So they talk us into going down to Iconium, which was I don't know maybe a thirty-minute drive from where we were at. And of course, you know none of us had the foresight to use our GPS, so we were destined to get lost. But so we all pile back into his explorer and. Marcus says, hey, Will, I mean, backtrack a little bit. Um, Will's a couple years younger than us, and he's a good friend of Marcus's younger brother. So Marcus's younger brother didn't want to come with us. But um, Marcus asked Will, Will said, sure. So six of us, we hop in to his Ford and we drive on down the road. And there's really not a whole lot in this part of Missouri. Obviously, you've got Truman Lake and Lake of the Ozarks, which are, you know, you're recreational areas but once you get about 20 miles from them, it's it's pretty barren again
0: as you guys took off on this on this trip can you tell us who was who was where in the car where were you all sitting
2: so marcus was driving there was his car 2001 ford explorer we called it the exploder because the engine was kind of misfiring and it kind of growled instead of you know hummed like a normal engine would will was sitting in the front seat he, uh, he was the tallest, had the longest legs, so we gave him the most leg room. I mean, I'm one, and he was about a head taller than me, so that was a pretty obvious decision. I was sitting in the back seat behind the driver. Daniel was to my right, so he was the middle back seat. He was kind of the smallest guy in our group, so he could kind of squeeze between me and Neil, who was sitting in the uh, back passenger seat. And then, in our infinite wisdom, um, we decided... Eddie could ride in the trunk of the, the uh, board. There's a lot of room back there and figured what's the worst that could happen. We're just going you know, 30 minutes down the road. And, um, one of the things that kind of the little things that sticks with me is I remember going into the tent and grabbing my wallet and my phone and stuff out of my backpack and looking down, I saw my pocket knife sitting on top and I'm thinking, I'm not going to need that. We're only going to be gone about an hour. So we, um, uh, we all pile into his Ford and we're heading on out towards Iconium. Um, of course, we get lost along the way. So like 20, 30 minute drive ends up taking like an hour. And it's probably, I don't know, 11 a.m. by the time we get there. So we pile out. We um, all head on in. They, Marcus and Daniel, they're kind of reminiscing about their scouting days down there and talking to the owner who they have you know met previously from their time at scout camp. We're all just kind of milling around the store. We head outside to the little restaurant attached. We have a real nice lunch of burgers, fries, and these wonderful peach knee-high floats that I still adore to this day. And then uh, we decide to head back. We obviously we have the right directions this time. It's a much sort of shorter trip. And um, I remember we're going down the highway, and I see um, a tow truck, like a wrecker, a flatbed that had a uh, car that had obviously been in an accident on the back. And you could see that the windshield was bowed out from the inside, like something had hit it from the inside and pushed it out. And I just remember saying, you see, guys, that's why you need to wear a seatbelt. That's what happens at speed. Something along that lines. Uh, I, at the time, was uh, taking classes in college in the criminal justice field. And I had a class um, about like you know, accident reconstruction, that sort of thing. So kind of like, oh, yeah, it's a practical application of what I'm learning in college. On the way back, we um, we stop in Clinton, Missouri, which is another one of the larger towns down there. And 5th of July, there's firework stands everywhere. So we, we top off the gas tank and the Explorer and we start hitting up these firework stands. And of course, you know, it's the day after. So everyone's got their stuff discount. They all want to unload it all and go home. So everything's 40, 50, 60% off. And then, you know, My buddy Neil, he's military, so he's like, you have a military discount. So we start getting everything even cheaper and cheaper. So we start loading this truck full of fireworks again. And I mean loading it full. So we're all packed in there. Oh, and I should also mention, um, while at Iconium, I fell in love with this peach knee-high soda. I bought, I think, three or four 12-packs. Everyone else had bought two or three. So we had, you know, these 10, 12-packs of soda crammed into this car along with all of our fireworks. Six full-size grown men. So we uh, we pull on out of Clinton. It's probably one forty-five, one fifty in the afternoon. Beautiful day. It was overcast sky, maybe eighty degrees. You know, we we're planning to do fireworks show round two. We were all psyched up and amped up, heading on back. So we pull off of this little two-lane highway onto the uh, the dirt road that we take back to the little neighborhood where the lake house is in. The speed limit there is probably 30 miles an hour. And it's a fairly skinny, it's unpaved, it's gravel road. And there are some short but steep hills. And this little road is maybe a mile and a half, two miles long before it gets to the uh, neighborhood with woods on pretty much either side. So Marcus, he's a bit of an adrenaline junkie. We all sort of are at heart, but he's more so than any of us. And we, we take off down this road. Speed limit's probably 20, 25 miles an hour. And we're just flying down this thing. He's having a good time up front. Everyone else is whooping and hollering. I'm kind of, you know, a bit uneasy about it. So we're, we're tearing down the road. He's getting air on some of these hills. I remember hearing Daniel say, It's a beautiful day to die, gentlemen. And we're just screaming down the road. I think we hit the report said 79 miles an hour was that recorded speed so a very good clip and we just fly right over this hill and in my mind I'm thinking oh please god don't let there be a car on the other side of that hill I don't want to you know slam into someone else so I kind of get that feeling in the pit of my stomach like when you're in a roller coaster you kind of feel everything go up and I don't know why I just kind of I shut my eyes and I felt like a turtle kind of pulled into my shell. I kind of pulled myself tight and you could feel the car leave the ground. I heard the engine just rev incredibly fast. You know, the wheels aren't on the ground, so they're just freely spinning now. And everything's happening over the course of maybe five or six seconds. But, you know, like they say, it feels like it was a lot longer. It kind of felt like an eternity between the sound of that engine revving and the loudest bang I've ever heard in my entire life. So we leave the road and off to the left, we somehow flew right into the woods. We caught a tree that was maybe 18, 12, 18 inches in diameter, a fairly good sized tree. We caught it about four feet off the ground, snapped it in two. And that was the bang I heard. So I've got my eyes shut tight. There's just a massive bang. The world exploded around me. I slam forward against my seatbelt and I pull myself tight, make a little ball, try to protect myself, I guess. And then another bang. And then three or four more. And I feel like I'm on a roller coaster. I'm just getting flung around, but I've got myself kind of pulled pretty tight. So I'm not moving. I can just feel myself, you know, being pulled around by the force of this car moving around. And then it just stops. And it's silence. I can hear the engine knocking its last few death strokes, I guess. I hear some hissing. I feel something spraying on my face. And I can hear, um, I'm not sure who it was. I think it might have been Neil, kind of softly moaning like like he'd been knocked out. And then that's when I opened my eyes. And I'm, I saw broken glass, peach knee high cans. That's what was spraying me in the face. And I saw my hand braced against the roof of the car, and my hand was bloody. And I'm thinking, shit, we are going to get in so much trouble for this. We're going to be dead meat when we get back to that lake house. They are going to be so pissed off at us.
0: I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. or go wild and have CookUnity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully, that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DS-01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to Seed.com what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds dso one Daily Symbiotic at Seed.com what. Code twenty-five what?
2: And I'm thinking, well, I'm cut now. Crap, I've got to go to the hospital. My parents are gonna be pissed off at me. It's like I'm really screwed. And then I kind of look around and I realize. Wait, we're upside down. The roof is caved in. My head's at a really weird angle from being crunched in, and wait, I can't see anybody else. Kind of gets a little fuzzy here. I mean, I didn't get a I didn't get my head knocked around. I didn't get a head injury or anything like that. I didn't even really think I was hurt besides a cut on my hand. So I I start kind of frantically looking around. I look in the front seat. I see Marcus, and I think he must have been knocked out. So I look around. I, I see Daniel. Daniel's on the roof of the car. I mean, it would be the roof, but now it's the floor since we're upside down. And he's kind of laying on his back in the debris. Every everything that was in this Ford just got thrown around. It's there's fireworks and soda everywhere. It's all manners of everything, and I can't see Neil to my right. It's it's all just wreckage, and I can't see Will in the front seat either. It's it's even more wreckage up there. All I can see is Marcus and Daniel, and then I look to the back, looking for Eddie, since he was riding in the trunk. All I see is wreckage. And the first thing I remember saying is, guys, I think Eddie is dead. I mean, I guess it's kind of thinking out loud. There's really no internal internal monologue at that point, so to speak. It just becomes an external monologue. So anything that was going through my mind just came right out my mouth at that point. So that's when the realization hits me that this is a lot worse than I initially thought. We're in it pretty deep. Take a look out to my left. And all I see is the ground and trees. I don't know how far we are off the road. I really, to be honest, I didn't know know, where we were on the road itself. It all just kind of happened so fast. And I kind of start to take stock of what's going on. I hear Daniel, he's in quite a bit of pain. I didn't really know why at the time. And then Marcus in the front seat, I see he's coughing. So I'm like, well, I mean, at least he's okay. So I'm trying to figure out what to do next. And I'll be honest, I had no idea what to do. I start asking people if they're okay. Can't remember what they said. I would call out to Eddie and Neil and I would get no response. And I just got more and more worried people will say and stuff like that. Well, there was no time to be afraid. Well, there was plenty of time for me to be afraid and I'll be the first to admit that I was. So I'm trying to figure out what to do and I think, well, I need to get out first and foremost. I can start to smell gasoline. If I can get out, I can get help and I can get other people out since I was reasonably sure that I was the, least injured person at the time. I didn't know the extent of anyone else's injuries, but I honestly thought I was just fine. I got a little cut on my hand. I'll be okay. I reached down to my right for my seat belts for the release and can't find it. I It's just, you know, a little hole in the seat. Well, the seat had buckled when it got thrown forward. I can't get down there, get my pocket knife and cut it out, reach in my pocket. There's no pocket knife. And I'll have that little flashback Eureka moment that's still in my backpack in a tent a mile away. And now is kind of where I'm starting to realize the situation that I'm in. My knees are pretty much in my chest. My legs are squeezed between my seat and Marcus's seat. My head's kind of crammed at a weird angle because all my weight is now on my neck since I'm hanging upside down. So I'm like, okay, I've I've really got to get out of the seat now. About this time, I can hear... Neil kind of coming to, to my right. I still can't see him, but I can hear him. And I know not even an hour prior in Iconium, Neil had just bought a pocket knife that had one of those seatbelt cutters on it. So I'm like, all right, Neil, Neil, I need your knife. Where's your knife? And the response I got from him was, it sounded like um, when you wake up someone who's asleep and you're kind of talking to them while they're half asleep, know he's groggy and slow and he said I don't know where it is well I knew Marcus usually has a pocket knife on him as well so I turned to see him he's the way his seat ended up is he's almost facing me from the way the car kind of bent his seat and I asked him for his knife because I know there's usually one in his pocket and probably two or three somewhere in his car and he didn't know where his was. He I don't necessarily remember what he said, but this was kind of the time where I started to realize the extent of his injuries. You know, I'm starting to look around, I'm starting to see a lot, you know, more blood everywhere and this is kinda of when I'm realizing that I might be the only one left that can do something and this is getting worse by the minute. But kind of the last idea I had was to go for my cell phone. Maybe get a 911 call out. Obviously, I, I wasn't quite sure where we are, but I figured I could give them a good enough idea where we were for someone to come find us eventually. I didn't know the name of the road. I knew we were off of Route 7, just east of Tightwad, but that was really about it. I go into my right pocket to try to get my phone, and I can't get my fingers more than about a half inch into my pocket. That seatbelt had cinched so tight over my legs that it, there was no way I could my hand into there, manipulate my pocket or my shorts to even get a finger in there to get a hand on that phone. And that was kind of my. I'm screwed moment. And I didn't know what to do. There was nothing I could do. I was upside down and a truck filled with gasoline and fireworks that I thought could blow up at any minute with five people and. Here I am thinking I'm the only one that can do anything, and I've let them all down because I can't do anything. Uh, This would probably be the first time that I actually thought about the possibility of death. I didn't think anything of it until now. And it came up in a a really weird way. Um, I just had an aunt that had passed away, I don't know, maybe half a year prior in a, a freak accident at home. And I thought about how... That kind of screwed my family up and I mean how just devastated everyone was from her death. And I thought, Great, now they're gonna be devastated over another death and you know, it's the second one in a year. What what am I doing? And I kind of just stopped all the struggle, I closed my eyes and took a couple of breaths and you know, relaxed, thinking, Okay, yeah, you know, we'll just kind of uh, slip off here. I guess if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna do it peacefully. Closed my eyes, took a couple of breaths and felt the wave of calm come over me, I guess. And then that little voice in the back of my head screams, F that. Snap back into reality, open my eyes and start going back to work. Still trying you know, everything I can possibly think of. I'm even thinking maybe I can grab one of these little itty bitty pebbles of, uh, safety glass off the, the ground in front of me and try to like gnaw through my seat belt with that anything to get me out and trying to talk to these guys marcus he was in pretty bad shape and so was daniel i could daniel was talking about how his legs hurt saying his legs were broken so i'm like trying to keep them calm while at the same time trying to keep myself calm which was i was failing at for myself anyway i was getting more and more antsy by the moment Every minute I was hanging there in that seat, it was hurting more and more. The seatbelt around my lap was like a boa constrictor, just squeezing the life out of me. The yeah. neck was just hurting more and more. And I was losing faith and rescue by the minute, it seemed. So, everything's exhausted. I just start yelling. I yelled till I was hoarse. I don't know how long I yelled for, but Daniel joins in. He's yelling. I've kind of got my neck craned out the window. I'm screaming as loud as I can and then I hear someone running up and I don't remember what was said to me and what I said to them. Um, I know one of them started yelling to call nine one one, and, uh, he asked me if I was hurt and I said, no, I'm fine. I just need a knife to, to get me out of here. Do you have a knife? So he says he thinks he has one. He runs on back up and at this point, I'm saying, you know, yeah, we're good, guys. they are calling 911. We're all going to be good. Don't worry. Something along those lines. Uh, trying to maintain the calm, which I sort of destroyed with my hollering, I guess. And uh, again, you know, things that happen really fast. It seems like time was slowed down. It felt in between the time he left to get the knife to the time he came back was another like 10 minutes. And he must've been the dullest pocket knife because it took him uh, a few good tries to, to cut the, the belt on my shoulder and across my lap kind of slumped down and to the little space that was right in front of me and realized, well, well now how do I get out? Cause the window to my left is the, the gap is probably less than a foot and I'm a pretty big guy. There's no way I'm going to be fitting through that. And I guess they started pulling away. um, all just the the wreckage, the boxes of fireworks, the, the cans of soda and the boxes of soda, everything. They start pulling out and there was one of the trunk windows open. So they grab my arms and shoulders. They they pull me and I get about halfway out and he asked me, are you good? I said, yeah, I've got it from here. So I get my hands up on the car and I get ready to push myself out with my legs and I realize my right leg doesn't work. I'm like, well, that's weird. It doesn't hurt. Just not working. So he asked me if I was good. I said, "Well, well, maybe not." And they grabbed me, they pull me about 20, 30 feet away, and they lean me up against a tree. And I look over to my right, and I see Eddie. He's leaning up against another tree, and he's just got this massive deer in the headlights look going on. You know, almost like a zombie-like expression on his face, just kind of blank face with big old eyes. I remember looking over and just in the, in hindsight, it's the goopiest voice to look over and I think, holy shit, it's Eddie. You know, like you um, you walk into a restaurant or something, you see a friend that you weren't expecting there, or a, a buddy that you haven't seen in a while. It's, so I was, I mean, I'll be honest, I thought he was dead because I looked back into that trunk and all I could see was wreckage. And I say this and he doesn't acknowledge, he doesn't do anything, he just keeps staring straight on ahead. Obviously, there's some red flags come up there, but in my mind, I was just glad to see that he was out. He looked to be in one piece and that he was breathing. So I thought, well, the worst is behind us. In a you know a few weeks, when we all get patched up, we'll be sitting around the campfire having cigars and cooking burgers again, like we always do. Lean back against the tree. I'm you know watching this. There's probably five or six people around the car now. Everyone's got their phone out and cell phone or service is kind of hard to come by in that area and someone eventually does get through to nine one one and then think, well, I better call my dad and have him let everyone know I'll be okay. Cause I know my family's going to be worried if they just get a call from the hospital. So I pull my phone out of my pocket and as soon as I unlock the screen, it powers down. It's out of batteries. So I'm like, well, that's another stroke of bad luck for today, I guess. Then, um, Seemed like pretty quickly a, a state trooper arrives. Big Smokey the Bear hat on. He comes up. He kind of moseyed down the embankment that we were. I realized we were probably about 50-ish feet into the woods, upside down. Kind of took in how badly mangled the car was, but it just it wasn't registering with me how bad it was at the time. cylinder wasn't firing, I guess. But... Trooper looks around the car, he does his 360s, he's peeking into the windows and comes up and he's like, asked, he asked me if I'm okay. I said, yeah, I think I just have a broken leg. And I said, is it bad? And, and this, I don't know how to describe the voice really. It was a very soft yet serious voice. He just replies, it's bad. And then he goes back to work calling people on the radio. And this is a Another one of those times where time just kind of melts together and everything becomes a bit of a blur. The uh, adrenaline's kind of wearing off. feel myself relaxing a little bit, which is a difficult thing to do after a situation like that. I can kind of hang my shoulders and let the tension go away, I guess. You know, everything's going to be okay. I guess eventually three or four more deputies and troopers show up. All the uniforms are there and Here's about the time we start seeing the paramedics in the fire department. Being out in the, the sticks like we were, all the fire departments, are they're all volunteers. So the firefighters and paramedics, they've got to leave what they're doing, go to their station after they get the call, get their equipment, and then come to us. So it probably took a good 20 to 30 minutes before the first of the firefighters and paramedics arrived. And I'd see you know a group of them coming down the hill. They go to the car and someone start working then. Someone over to Eddie and started working on him. And I'm just kind of sitting back observing. You know, I'm not really thinking much of anything other than this is going to be a fun one to explain to my parents why my leg is all screwed up because we we're driving around being stupid. And then you know, every few minutes, there was a, a new group that would arrive. They would come down. You know, One of two of them would come to me and I'd just brush them off no, don't worry about me. It's just my leg. Go help the others. They're hurt a lot worse than I am. Because I knew at least Marcus was in pretty bad shape. I didn't really know about Will or anybody else. I mean, I knew Daniel had a, a couple of broken legs. He was next to me on the ground after he had been pulled out and his, his feet were pointing in directions that they shouldn't be pointing, so to speak. And, you know, this went on three or four times. Maybe a group of paramedics had come up and it's be like, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. They need it a lot more than I do. And, you know, back in my mind, I kind of began to notice, well, the three of us are the, the only ones that are out. It's just, where's everybody else? Why are they still in the, the car? It's been like an hour. I guess, they, you know, they were working on extracting them, but first they obviously have to kind of stabilize them and start to treat their, their injuries in the car. So another group of paramedics shows up. And, well, don't worry about me. You know they're hurt a lot worse than I am. And medic looks at me and says, "Oh, you're the last one." Like, well, guess let's go then. Ask me what's wrong and all that stuff. And of course, I'm sitting up, and they immediately, you know, get my collar and stuff, get me to a backboard. And I'm thinking, well, oh, this is this is a lot of overkill. I feel fine. I just have a you know a tweaked leg. That's all. I didn't even think it was. I thought I must have pulled something. Just I'll be fine. You know, they get a splint on my leg, and they get uh, me and Daniel ready for transport. And I can hear them backing the ambulance up the hill to where they were going to load us up. So they take Daniel up first. He's a pretty little guy. And then they get to me. I'm 6'1", 225. I'm not the biggest, but I'm not the littlest. And they've got to carry me strapped to the backboard with all their medical equipment up a, a fairly short but steep hill and get to the ambulance. So... There's like three people on either side of me, trying to haul me up this hill, and I'm trying to lighten the mood with the jokes. I'm like, oh, I guess this means I should lay off the barbecue, right, guys? Didn't get any laughs, but I tried anyway. Getting to the ambulance, and Daniel's in quite a bit of pain. It's actually he's in so much pain he starts yelling in German. He's bilingual, and I didn't really realize that he could do that, but I'm not really feeling anything my mind is just kind of on we are gonna be in so much trouble that's you know the only thing I can think of it's we're screwed because now you know not only is his car destroyed but we're hurt and I'm gonna have to pay for an ambulance bill now and I know those aren't cheap so in the ambulance where another paramedic is talking to me because I'm again I'm I'm in the right state of mind didn't get my head banged around they hadn't pushed any medication to me yet so I was talking to him just like I'm talking to you now. And uh, he mentions something about a helicopter. What do you mean? He's like, well, we're going to have to fly you guys out. I'm thinking, oh, that's going to be expensive. And he says, well, you really don't have a choice in it now. <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess you're right. After a few minutes, they, you know, they started an IV on me and Daniel. They pushed some pain meds into Daniel. And I told him I didn't need anything. I just... I couldn't feel my leg. That was the only thing that I thought was wrong with me. So I said, I- I'm fine. And they start driving us down the road back to uh, the highway route seven. And they take us to this little town of Tightwad, Missouri. About the only thing there is a fire station, a bank, and a convenience store. And On the previous trips to the lake, we always loved stopping in Tightwad. just Who names a town tightwad? It's funny. I mean, I've got a tightwad bank hat somewhere. I've got, you know, I would save my receipts from the tightwad convenience store. We've got pictures in front of the tightwad sign.
0: I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of the Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start. Or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: We drive on out and we and they pull us into this field by the bank and they open up the back doors on the ambulance and I can see, feel, and hear the helicopters. There's, I think there were two or three of them that were on the ground, rotor road are still running. And then I hear a familiar voice. It was Marcus's mom. And she's somehow was at the back of the ambulance asking what happened. So I kind of briefly explained. We, um, we were in a, a car wreck. I'm, I'm not sure how everyone else is. She was asking about the the other boys. She was like, you know, I mean, she was the mother of our group. A lot of us had hung out at that house for years. And just the biggest sweetheart cares deeply about all of us. She's just a wonderful person. And I kind of briefly explain what's going on and she had no idea. They were, they were at, I think they were shopping in Clinton that day. They were getting groceries at Walmart. And when they came back, the road was blocked off and she had somehow figured out that it was her son's car that was in the accident. And I asked her, Hey, can you call my dad and or let him know I'm okay? And I she's like, what's his phone number? So I start, shouting off the number i i messed it up and i i probably gave her like three different numbers none of which i'm sure were the right one but they kind of paramedics and the police kind of usher her to the side i guess and i get moved into a helicopter first time in a helicopter not a bad ride uh the medic riding me was a fella named Derek, and Derek was a pretty cool guy we um we talked a little bit about um barbecuing and baseball we're both from kansas city and that's a pretty big thing in kansas city and i ask him where we're going he's like well i'm taking you to overland park regional and i get all excited overland park you know i that's where i live so i'm thinking cool i'm getting a helicopter ride home and about this time was when my leg started to not necessarily hurt but it was like a dull ache like I pulled a muscle or something. It was just a dull ache and it was starting to really bug me. So they started to push the pain meds in and it was a quick flight, maybe a half hour, 40 minutes to the hospital. They wheel me on in, they take me down into emergency and they start asking all the medical questions and doing vitals and everything and looking over every inch of me. and, And I'm still thinking I need to call my family. So I'm asking them like, I can just borrow someone's cell phone. I need to you know, call my mom and my dad and just let them know that I'm okay because they're going to hear car accident and automatically assume the worst. That's especially my mother. She's a natural worry ward. If I don't answer my phone in five minutes, she thinks I've been kidnapped or something. And you know, they've got a little bit of pain meds in me now. So I'm just sitting there all hunky-dory, not really hurting, not really feeling great either. Kind of. Bums that I'm strapped to a backboard naked, you know, with a, a gown over me and all sorts of stuff hooked up to me while my family's starting to show up. My mom and dad show up eventually. Um, my mom pretty much broke down when she saw me. I I knew that one was coming. And then um, another one of my aunts by And it was her sister that had passed away earlier in the year. And I remember I looked at her and the, the only thing I said to her is, I'm sorry I scared you, Aunt Kathy. And then she kind of broke down and that was probably the first time that I'd actually cried because I was happy to see everybody and they were happy that I was okay. Um, my brother, he had showed up and he asked me how I feel. He's like, how do you feel? And I said, like, I've been in a car accident. It's kind of smart ass. I mean, how does it look like I feel? I, um, again, this is kind of where it starts to blur. They start giving me more and more medication as the pain would get worse. Um, I was very thirsty. I was so thirsty, and they didn't know what was wrong with me. They couldn't give me anything to drink or eat, you know, because I might have to have surgery. And I hadn't had anything to drink you know, since noon when I had a peach knee high float, and this is probably close to midnight now. So I'm, I'm starting to get pretty miserable, and I want to know how everyone's doing, and. My father, he's keeping up on this, so he's, um, you know, he's letting me know, well, Daniel's at this hospital. Okay, good. A few minutes later, he finds out, Eddie's at this hospital. All right, that's good. You know, again, it's, we got Neil at this hospital. Okay, good. And I'm, so what about Marcus? And, you know, he's, well, we haven't heard about him yet. Kind of push it back to the side. Go on with what's right in front of me I guess and somehow I um, managed to get a hold of my friend Mary who had turned around from driving to Minnesota they were almost there they heard about the accident and they turned right around and hearing her voice was again one of the greatest things because here's everyone freaking out around me and then there's this like angelic calm voice on the phone of a friend that I've had for many years you know kind of joking about some things and She wants to know what happened. I kind of briefly explain it. It was a pretty short conversation. I don't remember a lot of what was said, but it was, it was meaningful in that, in a brief time, I guess. Eventually we find out that um, my leg is broken. That's why it didn't work. There was a, I broke it right at the top of the femur where it meets my hip. Then there was a piece of metal. I'm not sure what it was from or where it came off of. I wish they would have kept it would have made for a good souvenir, I guess. There's a piece of metal lodged in the back of my right heel. And there was um some of the x-rays showed a, a pneumothorax in my chest. I guess that's when some air gets pushed out of your lungs into your chest cavity. So, emergency surgery. I've never gone under for surgery and I'm a little scared from what I'd been in earlier that day. I guess I probably shouldn't have been all that scared. It's probably the safest thing I'd done all day. I asked him to make sure I get put under. I've heard too many stories about people being awake during surgery. and That was, you know, that was my concern at the time, I guess. They push the stuff into my IV and it's like someone draws a curtain on you. It's just, whoosh, and blackness. And then you wake up. I don't know what time it was. It was still dark and everything hurt from my head to the toe. Everything, everything hurt. My leg hurt very bad. Even with you know, the crazy amount of pain meds they were giving me, I was still filthy and I probably looked like hell. And coming in and out of the anesthesia, and I'm asking you know, where is everyone? It's, how is everyone? How's Marcus? Where is everybody at? And my mom and my dad in the room, And my father is a police officer. He's been a police officer for 30 years, and he's had to do stuff like this before. And um, he tells me where everyone is, and then he says, I'm sorry, but Marcus didn't make it. Here's my dad giving a death notification to his own son, something that I'm sure he never thought he'd have to do. It's something I never thought I'd ever hear. And that was when I'm broke. I, I snapped like a twig. There's nothing I could do or say. There's nothing anyone could say to me to make me feel any less horrible than I felt at that one point in time. And then he tells me that Will also didn't make it. And that was just, you know, I was another just punch to the gut. I didn't know him too well. I'd only known him you know less than a day, but still that's just two lives taken just like that. And that was one of the worst nights. It was just a constant haze of coming in and out of the medication. And every time I'd wake back up, I'd remember what happened and it would, it was like, you know, finding out all over again. I would just break down again and again and again. And I'm not sure how many times that repeated. I'm sure it was all night. And waking up and it's light outside now and somehow I've calmed down. I don't know if they gave me something or if I had just gotten out of my system and my mom and my dad are still there and it's obviously still a tough morning and then friends start to show up and next thing you know, this hospital room's packed with like 15 people. So I, tragedy aside, it was great to see everybody there, you know, to support me and makes you realize how many people just care deeply about you. So I was in there for about a week and a half and I was getting around okay on my leg, kind of hobbling with the walker. My foot kept bothering me. It was, I felt like I was um, constantly stepping on glass and it was just a little itty bitty incision, probably no more than two inches long on the back of my heel. It kept getting more and more painful. And I'm not sure what the doctor's deal was. I don't know if it's he didn't want to check his work or he thought I was trying to maybe scam pain medications or something, but he wasn't necessarily believing that I was having all this pain in my foot. Well, the the day I was supposed to be discharged to go to my physical therapy, I had a 101 degree fever and I'm having crazy fever dreams in the middle of the afternoon and hallucinating and. They're like, well, well, we'll keep him another day until the fever goes down. And then we'll send him on his way. When I kind of come out of the fever haze, there, one of my favorite nurses, Sarah, she was in the room. And she's going to change my dressing. So she changes the one on my right hip, and then she gets down to the one on my foot. And um, she kind of pulls her head back a little bit. And I look down, and there's black blood on the the bed and I said oh shit is that from me and she looks up and says yep I'll be right back so she gets a doctor and next thing you know there's two or three other doctors there's an infectious disease doc in the room and they're taking cultures of my foot and I'm going back in for an emergency surgery at you know, six o'clock in the afternoon when I was supposed to be getting discharged but I'm not too worried about this surgery my foot you know, it was an incredible amount of pain, but they've got me just pumped to the gills with all sorts of dilaudid and who knows what else. And they you know, push the anesthesia, put the mask on again and again. Whoosh, world goes dark. This time, though, it was a lot different. Waking up, it was the most intense, incredible pain that I can ever imagine. I can't even fathom anything worse. And it it was like um, stepping on hot nails with the back of my foot over and over again, just driving in. And I had no idea what was going on pain to the point where I'm screaming. Like I'm being murdered. I, it, was, it was bad. And my favorite nurse, Sarah, she's back in the room with me and this poor girl. I mean, she went through so much that night with me, but she was right there with me trying to do everything she could. I guess what happened was somehow there was a mix up and I didn't have orders for any sort of pain management or recovery after the surgery. So I went straight from the OR back into my room, you know, basically dry. So wake up, all those nerves start firing again and it made for a fun night. So I was, I'm not sure how long I was in there just out of my mind and screaming. I remember, I don't know if I was going into shock or what, but I got cold. I was shivering, and then Sarah's holding my hand, trying to calm me down. They're giving me all the medication they can give me because it's the, there's no doctor that can prescribe me for some reason. It's just the nurses there, and somehow I managed to go to sleep after a few hours after they got enough of some sort of medication in me, and that was the the big medical foul up that happened to me. After that, it was pretty much smooth sailing the the next day, the CFO of the hospital was in my room with a bouquet of flowers, you know, the the please don't sue us speech, but he was, a, I mean, he was fairly nice. And I ended up leaving about a a week after that, I had to spend about another week, week and a half in that hospital. And then moving on, I did another um, 10 days in inpatient rehab of physical therapy at a different hospital in my area where they specialize in stuff like that.
0: The final outcome for the six people that were in the car, Marcus and Will, as you mentioned, didn't make it.
2: That's right. So I was right behind Marcus. Um, My right femur was broken right at the uh, femoral neck, I believe it's called, right at the top where it joins your uh, hip bone. The laceration on my foot, which eventually became infected with, uh, I know they cultured it out. There was like four different kinds of bacteria, one of which was flesh eating. So that was kind of interesting. Daniel, who was seated in the middle seat directly to my right, he, um, he broke both of his legs and tore most of the tendons and ligaments down there. It, he, was, he was really bad. He actually he ended up getting out of the hospital before I did, but his recovery was a lot longer. He was, he was wheelchair bound for six or eight months, and it was probably two years before he was back to what you would call somewhere near 100%. Neil, to, um, Neil, who was sitting in the back seat behind the passenger on the far right side, he broke his left leg and his right arm. He had ruptured his spleen, and he had some pretty bad face injuries. He didn't break his jaw, but he had a lot of teeth that were knocked out. His lip and his cheek were cut up pretty bad, and he ended up getting quite a few stitches. Eddie, who uh, we found out was ejected from the, the car, I'm not quite sure how, with all the flips we did when we went into the woods. When I saw him it looked like there was not a scratch on him. When he got ejected he must have landed on his head or hit his head because he had a very bad head injury. Very bad concussion. He didn't break his neck, he didn't break his you know, he didn't fracture his skull or anything miraculously. I don't even think he broke a bone in his face. But he was in a coma medically induced, I believe, for about a week, and then uh his recovery went fairly smoothly after that. There weren't any cognitive issues and he has some trouble with the balance every now and again, but he's pretty much his old self for the most part.
0: And you're pretty much recovered now. Yeah. um, It's been like, it's been five years now, right? Almost.
2: Yeah, it'll be, it'll be five years and one month. And, uh, I get a little pain in my leg every now and again. There's, there's nerve damage in my right heel from the infection and the surgeries they had to do. but, I'm pretty much back to myself. I mean, last month I biked about 150 miles on the Katy Trail in Missouri, and I'll be honest, I'm feeling better than I've ever felt.
0: You ever talk about this with some of the other ones that survived?
2: We discuss it every now and again, right after, in the immediate aftermath. We talked about it a lot because I was the only person that, didn't either black out due to pain or receive a head injury. So I kind of have the clearest picture of what went down. Obviously, you know, people like Eddie, Neil and Daniel, they had questions and I answered them. I would relate the story, but, and then, you know, when I would come back to work, everyone would want to know what happened. And I guess there is that morbid curiosity where you want to know the story. So I you know, relate via the, uh, the watered down version to them this would be the first time telling the whole story, so to speak.
0: You can just send them to this podcast now.
2: Yeah, I can.
0: And I understand that the agency that handled your rescue was the Warsaw fire protection district. So, uh, that's right. Shout out to those guys, huh?
2: My Hats off to you, gentlemen.
0: Is there any part of it that I haven't asked you about that you'd want to mention?
2: No, there is. It's a little thing that comes to mind. As you can see now, I'm wearing a ball cap. I love wearing ball caps. I've always have. I don't know why. I was wearing one in the accident, and it obviously got blown off my head when you know we're doing all of our flips and everything through the woods. When the trooper was looking around the car, he comes out and he says, "Who was wearing a hat?" I'm like that's kind of a weird question. I said, and "That'd be me." He just goes, "It's your lucky day," and he throws my hat back to me. So. This would be the hat that I was wearing at the time. Seen better days, as you can see, but there's a the black you see there is engine oil from the car. It looked a lot worse that day. It since been washed. but
0: Maybe you could send me a picture of that hat and we'll post that on the website.
2: I'll send you a picture of the hat and uh, my uh, can of knee high here from the, from the accident.
0: I'm glad you made it through. I'm really sorry about your friends, um, but I appreciate you sharing the story with us today.
2: I well, appreciate you giving me an opportunity to tell my story. I mean, what I want people to take out of this is number 1, wear your seatbelt obviously. I doubt that I would be here were it not for my seatbelt. And number 2, don't drive recklessly. What happened could have easily been avoided, and the only reason it happened is is because of stupidity and recklessness. It it shouldn't have happened, but it did. And unfortunately, We have to live with those consequences now.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. As you might imagine, it was not easy for Luke to talk about the day his best friend died. Every time I release a new show, I want to introduce you to people and stories you just won't find on other podcasts. Lots of stuff going on here, and I wanted to let you know so you're aware of what's happening. First up, the Patreon rewards are now in place. I was kind of surprised the other day because someone asked me about what it costs to be a supporter of the show, and she said she thought it had to be a big dollar amount. But that is definitely not the case. You can be a supporter of the show for as little as $1 a month. The support levels are $1, $3, $5, $10, and $20. And you can get What Was That Like stickers, you can get your name listed on the website as a supporter, you can even get a shout-out right here on the show. All of that information is on my Patreon, which is at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And for those of you who use Reddit, and I just love Reddit by the way, the What Was That Like podcast now has its own subreddit. It's still kind of a work in progress and there's only a few people there right now because it's new. But I'll be adding features and posting stuff in there. And Reddit is a great place to hang out with other listeners and myself, of course. I'll be there. So I hope to see you in there. The group is at reddit.com slash r slash whatwasthatlike. And as a reminder, we also have a private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the discussion there, that's at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. I have to tell you, I'm pretty excited about this podcast. It's just now a year old. 27 episodes out, and it's growing faster than I expected it to. I have some great interviews lined up too. And wait till you hear the next one, episode 28, coming out on July 19. It's going to blow you away. I have no doubt that this show is going to be one of the most popular podcasts in the not too distant future because every time someone hears it for the first time, they tell me how much they love it. Then they go and download all the past episodes. And for that to keep happening, I'm counting on you. Yeah, I'm just talking to you right now. I'm counting on you to tell your friends and family and everyone else about it. Most people find out about new shows by word of mouth. So thanks for spreading the word. And I'll see you on the next episode where we'll once again ask the question, what was that like? Hey, this is Scott. Did you know we offer a premium feed of this show that is completely ad-free and there are bonus episodes? Go to whatwasthatlike.com plus or just click the link in the show notes of any episode to learn more and to sign up. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can sign up right there in the app by clicking Try Free at the top of the episode list. And I hope to see you in the premium feed soon.